welcome. I'm Paulette, and this is Crime Biscuit. On today's Half Biscuit, we are going to talk about Borderline Personality Disorder, BPD. This disorder is more common in female criminals, and according to Sidecom.net, these are some of the common symptoms. Unstable or dysfunctional self-image or a distorted sense of self, feelings of isolation, boredom, emptiness, difficulty feeling empathy for others, history of unstable relationships, so like going from intense love to intense hate, Persistent fear of abandonment and rejection, even perceived abandonment. Intense, highly changeable moods. Strong feelings of worry, anxiety, and depression. Impulsive, risky, self-destructive behavior like reckless driving, drug and alcohol abuse, or unsafe sex practices. Hostility, unstable career plans, goals, and aspirations. The exact cause of BPD isn't super clear, but varying factors seem to increase the risk of it. Genetics, brain structure, social factors, these can play a role or they can increase the risk. A family history might be an increased risk factor. Social factors can include traumatic life experiences like abuse and abandonment. These things might increase the risk, but people without these risk factors could also develop it over the course of their life. So let's talk about three killers, murderers who were diagnosed with this. First, let's talk about Eileen Warnhouse. Eileen would eventually confess to seven murders. Along with borderline personality disorder, BPD, she was also diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, which we talked about in an earlier Half Biscuit. So Eileen was born in February of 1956. Her mother, Diane Warnhouse, was 17 when she had her. Um, She got married at 15 to Lee Pittman. Eileen also had an older brother, Keith, who was born a year before her. So Diane filed for divorce from Lee before Eileen was even born. So Eileen never met her father, Lee, who, at the time of Eileen's birth, was in prison. He was in prison for the rape and attempted murder of a seven-year-old girl. So Lee was possibly schizophrenic, and he had been convicted of more than one sex crime against children. He ended up hanging himself while in prison in 1969. At age four in 1960, Eileen and her brother Keith were abandoned by Diane. They were left with their grandparents, Lori and Brittany Warnhouse. So the grandparents adopted Keith and Eileen, and by age 11, Eileen was participating in sexual activities in exchange for drugs, cigarettes, and food. It was reported that she even engaged in these activities with her own brother. According to Eileen, her grandfather molested her and beat her. At age 14, she gave birth to a child that was the result of a rape by a friend of her grandfather. That child was given up for adoption. So prior to the baby being born, her grandmother had died. She and her brother ended up being wards of the court. By 15, she was supporting herself by being a sex worker. From there on, 
there is a string of brushes with the law that lead up to the first murder. She's arrested for DUI and disorderly conduct. She went to jail for assault more than once, for disturbing the peace. That happened when she threw a cue ball at a bartender's head. She'd had a short-lived marriage to a 69-year-old yacht club president, but then she hit him in the head with his own cane. He got a restraining order against her, and eventually the marriage was annulled. She was also arrested for armed robbery and then for passing forged checks. She followed that up with grand theft auto and resisting arrest. She would go on to murder seven men, claiming self-defense. Her first victim was Richard Mallory, and he was a convicted rapist. Um, If you're familiar with Eileen's story, she claimed initially that all of these men tried to rape her and it was all self-defense. This one was an actual rapist. His body was found several miles from his abandoned car, and he'd been shot several times. David Spears was found nude, and he'd been shot six times. Charles was shot nine times. Peter Sims' car was found abandoned. Witnesses saw it being abandoned by Warnhouse and her girlfriend, Tyria Moore. Eileen's palm print was on the interior door handle. Peter's body was never found. Troy Burgess was found shot twice. Charles Humphreys was found fully clothed, and he had been shot six times in the head and torso. Her last victim was Walter Antonio. He was found near an um, isolated logging road. He'd been shot four times. She would, like I said, ultimately plead guilty to the murders. This happened apparently after a girlfriend, Tyria, begged Eileen to not let her meaning Tyria, be blamed because she was being questioned. Eileen will tell very inconsistent stories about the killings. Originally, she claimed that, like I said, that all seven of them tried to rape her. She later recanted the self-defense stance. But then, during an interview with Nick Brookfield, when Eileen thought the cameras were off, she told him that they had all been self-defense, but she was ready to die at that point. She said 12 years on death row was long enough. The problem is she has a violent past and some of these men were shot well beyond the point of just self-defense. So that might make it hard to believe. Even if she were telling the truth, her story just waffles back and forth so much that, you know, who really knows? She was diagnosed with both borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. This was brought up before sentencing. But four days later, she received the death penalty. So let's kind of look at the characteristics of BPD and Eileen. Lack of empathy, drugs, alcohol, hostility, self-destructive behaviors, like the DUI, driving while drunk, she was a sex worker. Being made a ward of the state might have fueled her feelings of abandonment. She had unstable relationships. All in all, it does seem like she has many of the characteristics of BPD. Next up, the Milwaukee cannibal, Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey killed 17 boys and men between 1978 and 1991. Jeffrey also had a heavy alcohol addiction. The characteristics of his crimes were rape, dismemberment, necrophilia, and cannibalism. There is way too much to cover when you talk about Jeffrey, but we're going to hit just some of the highlights or maybe lowlights. He was a kind of weird kid by all accounts. 
he had a fascination with dead animals, and he had a fondness for seeing their insides. His father was a doctor, which is how Jeffrey learned um, how to boil his roadkill collection down to bone. When his parents got divorced, it seemed that neither of them really wanted Jeffrey, though they fought fiercely over his little brother, David. So Jeff had a, a big problem with drinking, even in his younger days, doing it at school. So I have no idea what kind of school allows someone to sit and drink, but apparently Jeffrey would do that. He was also quite fond of drugs. Both alcohol and drugs seemed to be a way for Jeffrey to escape his problems. His first victim was Stephen Hicks. He was a 19-year-old hitchhiker that Jeffrey had picked up. When Hicks was ready to leave, after they'd been together and, and done some partying, if you will, Jeff didn't want him to leave. So he hit him in the back of the head with a barbell, and then he strangled him. He kept Stephen's body in the crawl space until the smell got too bad. He then dismembered Steve and disposed of him. He went nine years before he killed again. So I'm not going to cover the rest of his murders on this half biscuit. But what the police found when they eventually searched Jeffrey's apartment was absolutely horrifying. He had a decomposing severed head in the fridge, three more heads in the freezer. In a closet, there was a large pot that held decomposed hands and a penis. He had some glass jars with male genitalia preserved in formaldehyde. He had many Polaroids taken by Dahmer at different stages of his victims' deaths, some with them still alive in bondage poses. Jeffrey was sentenced to 957 years in prison. On November 28, 1994, Jeffrey was doing bathroom cleanup with two fairly dangerous men, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. Guards found Jeffrey on the floor in a pool of blood with his head bashed in, and the other inmate, Jesse, was in a pool of blood in the shower. Dahmer was pronounced dead at the hospital, and Jesse died shortly thereafter. Scarver received a second life sentence for killing Jeffrey and Jesse. So let's hit the BPD list and look at Jeffrey. Jeffrey definitely had drug and alcohol issues, probably isolation and emptiness, uh, because his family pretty much overlooked him in favor of his brother. He also had some real abandonment issues, which is why, if you do any research on Jeffrey, you find out that he kept his victims' bodies, or ate parts of them. Part of this was because so that they would not be able to leave him. They would always be with him. Obviously, to do what he did to his victims, he did not have much in the way of empathy either. Last on our list is Kristen Gilbert, who killed four patients by administering fatal doses of epinephrine to bring on cardiac arrest. If you listen to my episode about Blanche Kaiser Taylor Moore, I did mention her when I was talking about women who kill with poison. So this nurse ends up being convicted of three first-degree murders, one second-degree murder, and two attempted murders of patients that were admitted at Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Massachusetts, the VAMC. When she was a child, Kristen showed a pretty high aptitude for schoolwork. But as she got to her teens, friends and family said she turned into a habitual liar and started showing neurotic behavior. She did graduate high school at 16, so obviously very smart. 
and she received her RN in 1988. She also got married to Glenn Gilbert that same year. The next year, in 1989, is when she joined the VAMC, where she made quite a name for herself at the onset. You know, eventually, there started to be quite a few um, deaths on her shift, and weirdly, the nurses, other nurses, started jokingly referring to her as the angel of death. But at this point, they just think it's, you know, coincidence. They don't think she's causing it. But by 1996, there are these three nurses that are beginning to think, mm, this isn't, this isn't normal. So they report their concerns over the increasing number of cardiac arrests happening on her shift or the people that she's responsible for. And they also noticed as the cardiac arrests increase, the supply of epinephrine is decreasing. Now, there doesn't seem to be any real motive for these murders. There's a rumor that it was to make her look good because there were a lot of these cardiac arrests that she attended to and many of those patients survived. Others thought that it was to impress this lover who was um, hospital police. I didn't even know there was such a thing. The VA staff believed that she may be responsible for more than 80 deaths and more than 300 emergency medical conditions. She was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole plus 20 years. She was at one time making a federal appeal for a new trial, but the uh, U.S. Supreme Court ruling would have allowed prosecutors to seek the death penalty. Surprisingly, she dropped the appeal. Let's go to the list. I do believe that she showed a distorted sense of self, but I'd say on the high end, not the low end. She obviously did not have empathy for her victims or she wouldn't have been poisoning them. I would think she has some hostility too because peaceful people don't do what she did. And whether it was for praise for her nursing skills for the one she saved or to get the attention of a man, she was impulsive and reckless. I mentioned this at the end of my schizophrenia half biscuit and I'm going to mention it again. Being aware of the signs of mental illness is the first step in seeking help or in recognizing the signs in those around you. The National Institute for Mental Health has lots of resources and agencies for anyone that is looking for help. The website is nimh.nih.gov. You can also find mental health resources in your area by contacting the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration at one 800 662-4357. Mental health is way too often a taboo subject and the signs are often overlooked. People who need help don't find it. If you or someone you love needs assistance, please get help. Catch me on Twitter at CrimeBiscuit. Send me a Gmail at acrimebiscuit at gmail.com or check me out on Facebook. Crime Biscuit, a true crime podcast. And here's your final crumb. Nicknames can be fun. Who doesn't like a good nickname? But the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Angel of Death? Maybe not so much. Thanks for joining me. Bye.